It's time for building the game, the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, April 3rd, and you're listening to episode 566. As always, I am your host, Jason. Here today, joined by someone I've known for a very long time, but this, I believe, is the first time that we've been here, and that is game designer, game developer, Joe Hopkins. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I uh, I realize we have known each other for a heck of a long time, like uh, back since <laughs> yeah. right after Unreal Estate came out, I think, or even before. I think it was when I was demoing Unreal Estate, I remember meeting you. Yep. It was. It was a little bit before that, yeah. I think it was. So I've been designing games. I've been designing games for, uh, let's see uh 15 years now so wow i think it's yeah. been close to 10 years yeah i've been doing it for 11 so that would track that we met somewhere along there um yeah i uh i remember meeting i remember talking to mark when he had signed on real estate and he was like i'm looking at this game by this guy named joe hopkins and i was like oh joe's a nice guy like you should definitely talk to joe and uh and that game uh was endangered which hey has been published <laughs> A few times yeah, uh, yeah, so. by uh, Grand Gamers Guild. Well, thanks for the endorsement. So, yeah, no, it's it's a super cool game. I've I've played a few of the different versions of it. Some of which I've played in published version. Some of which I've played in playtest version. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a cool it's a cool game with a cool theme, and uh, yeah, I always thought it was really neat. The uh, the saving animals theme is is something we should all be on board with you know yep well Um, i'm excited to talk about another cool game with a cool theme tonight (laughs) right right so you um so all these years later um after us knowing each other you signing endangered endangered doing well and getting you know uh extra stuff with that new versions expansions and such uh you um not too gosh about a year or so ago now how long have you been officially the developer for Uh, it's been uh a year this month yeah cool so yeah uh yeah time flies i didn't realize it'd been a year (laughs) yeah well we i remember because it was at geekway to the west when uh i saw you and we first were chatting about that um because uh, at that point, uh, Tiernanog was under development uh, by someone else uh, and then ended up, they finished their portion of it and then Mark had it back and wanted some more stuff done. And then he also turns out publishes a bunch of other games that could use development. <laughs> so he hired you to be, are you the, do you have like, you're just the developer, you the head developer. I would tell people you're the head developer if you're, if it does, that's not even your I, title. I, that should be your title. If you're the only. If you're the only developer, does that count as head developer? I think so. And <laughs> yeah. if I were you, I would absolutely okay. put that on my resume. Uh, and we'll, I'll just say it. Joe is the head developer. It's been said on the podcast. It's true. And uh, Mark can't debate it. And Mark, I know you're listening to this. So, uh, yeah, Joe's the head developer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Endangered is a game that I designed. And uh, 
Um, got that signed with Mark in um, 2016. And uh, after getting it signed, uh, usually the game will go um, to the game developer next. And they basically uh, get the game, you know, they play the game and um, adjust some rules and adjust some numbers mm-hmm. and stuff like that until the game is ready for art and printing and graphic design and stuff. So uh, for Endangered, uh, I pretty much did all the game development myself. Uh, Mark had, so Grand Gamers Guild had a uh, game developer um, and he, you know, did a little bit, uh, but it was really mostly uh, me doing it. Um, And then, uh, so, so I definitely, uh, Mark got to know my development um, skills uh pretty well <laughs> during that so yeah well, um, like... and i've said before i'm a, i'm a better game developer than game designer so we that is something we've talked at length about on the podcast so those are two very unique skill sets that only cross in certain areas there's a venn diagram for sure but um you know i i consider myself a good game designer but i am development is something really really tough for me and and i I took a back seat on this one. You you led the way. Isaac, I know, provided a lot of input. And I just said to Mark, mm-hmm. listen, if something I'll, I'm going to I'm going to pay attention to all this stuff. And if something looks weird to me or I have questions, I'll pop in. But otherwise, I'm just going to be another voice here that is not as skilled at this as the other two people working on it. are. <laughs> so I don't want to, um, you know, be too much. And uh, but yeah, I I do think that. Um, if you can develop your own game as well as you developed endangered, th- that means you're ready to develop other games because developing your own game is, is a very hard path to walk because you are attached to your game, right? I mean, it's your game, you designed Boy. it and now you have to critically look at your game and say, but what could be better? What can I do? You know? Um, and it is, like I said, it's a completely different skill set that you're using for that. Um, so yeah, so once you did Endangered, gosh, other games must feel like a breeze compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I look back on the development for um, the game uh, for your game Tiernanog, and um, I'm I'm like, did I really make that many changes? Like, I don't I don't know if I really changed much, but uh, yeah. So um, Endangered, like I said, uh, signed that with Grand Gamers Guild in 2016, uh, and it wasn't uh, printed until 2019 and didn't get mm-hmm. to backers till 2020. So uh, three years of development um, compared to uh, just six months on on your game, Tiering Oak. So um, yeah, you're right. Like developing a game, you have to look at it and be like, okay, this thing that i have going on it's not working i have to cut it out and and it can be real painful right Um, right. when um for those of you familiar with endangered you you uh you work together to save a species from extinction uh and the front side is forest and there's tigers you can save and on the back side there's water and you can save sea otters and the sea otter board used to be a hex grid Mm -hmm. and the tiger side was um was just a, a square grid and we had to get rid of the hex grid because people were just not understanding uh, uh, like I like you had to basically find 
the distance, like the shortest path from the oil spill to the otters. And people were not able to do that with the hex grid oh, for some right. reason. I don't know. It's weird. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, so had to cut that out. And that was something I loved. And that was something right, Mark loved. Right. But, you know. It is interesting, though, to so. like when you put something like that in front of a player and suddenly they're like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And you're like, how does this not make sense to you? But like, you know, they're right. Right. Because of course it makes sense to you. Cause you designed it, you played it more than anyone. Um, but I think there are those times when our brains as designers work in different ways than, than game players work. And you're like, ah, oh, crap, that's going to have to come out. You know, I'm going to have to take that out. Yeah. I don't, I think we lucked out yeah. with Tiran and Nog. I don't think there was anything drastic that ever got cut. Uh, there were a few things. Were there? <laughs> but, but nothing drastic. Um, right, right. Uh, yeah, so, um, so Tiernanog, uh, the main thing was there was this huge first player advantage where right. if you got to go first uh, in the turn, not only did you get to place your meeple first you got mm -hmm. so you got the best spot between the two cards that were the best but then you got to take the first card which meant you were you know able to take whatever you wanted and so um because there's always one card you desperately want yeah and, yes and that is and, it is intended to be that way that we will fight over the card we yeah. all desperately want right yeah and um so if you were getting to go first then you know there wasn't anything to that we could do to stop you and you just were gonna roll um but now uh so the main change uh that i can point to is that uh it's a reverse turn turn order where uh first everyone takes a turn placing your meeple and then you go in reverse turn order to take the cards so you have to hope that that card yes you got to you got the best spot but you have to hope that that card that you wanted is still there right so. right yeah i know that is uh that's interesting. And yeah, sounds super necessary for that. It's it's been a while. I haven't so I haven't got to play the game really since Gen Con <laughs> last year when I was yeah, demoing I, yeah. it. Um and uh and was, you know, uh yeah, so it's it's I can't wait to uh I watched this sweet video that they had made for it and was like my I showed it to my wife and she's like, How different is this from what you originally pitched? And I said, Well, I mean the theme is completely different. And there are some yeah. changes that have followed yeah. from that. I said, but the core structure of the game still is, is, you know, the same thing. It's, you know, as most development does, you know, if you start with something that's solid, you end up shaving things off and rebuilding certain pieces and, you know, trying to strive for that balance and, and just really, as, as people say, really make it sing, right. So that it, uh, mm -hmm. it just is the best it can be um, as, as a game. And as a product. Yeah, the core's got to be solid. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, the core's got to be solid. And and definitely Tier Nog's core is is a solid game. So, um, but uh, yeah, if if the game, um, you know, if the decisions you're making in the game are, are boring, then uh, development is can only can only take you so far. So. But, um, right, right, and that is, I mean, I think that's that's a, an interesting point to talk about, right? Like as a developer working for a game company, not that Mark would ever sign a bad or boring game, 
But let's say you worked at a company where <laughs> the person who owned it was a super dud and liked to sign boring games. Um, I mean, that I think, or, uh, frankly, if you worked at a company where you, you know, like a larger, uh, a larger company and you're there, a lead developer, and you're getting so many different types of games with so many different, you know, ideas and play levels and things like that. That's an interesting thought about how you handle, you know, dealing with that variety of things where some of the games you just may honestly, they don't do it for you. Like, I mean, (laughs) hey, maybe, maybe you were like, Tierney, no, it's a great game, but I don't like it. You know what I mean? (laughs) How do you deal with that? Do you feel like as a developer? Because even with with a company like Mark's, he has enough games that some games are going to be ones that you're going to enjoy more than others. I would have to assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so Grand Gamers Guild has games, has enough games that I haven't even played them all. So, right. Um, Which is crazy, yeah. right? So, it's crazy to think when you yeah. and I were first talking to Mark and he had signed my game and was going to sign your game. And now there's games that were like, Mark's like, oh, we have this game. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he keeps calling himself a small publisher, but Grand Gamers Guild at this point, I don't. I keep telling him, no, at this point, you're a medium publisher. And he's like, yeah. how are you defining that? And I'm like, well, you know, you've got games that you don't need to reprint anymore because you've got other stuff in the pipe. And mm-hmm. you've also got, uh, you know, expansions for games and, mm-hmm. you know, lots of successful and then, stuff. Yeah, too. You, yeah. And you've got games that I haven't even played. And so, yeah, at this point he's a medium. So, anyway. right, right. but uh, yeah, so you were asking about, okay, so what happens when, you know, he signs a game that I, I just don't like and uh, have yeah, to develop I mean, it, that it, game. It, and I've actually, that I'm in that. So I've been in that situation here with, with him. Cause like um, when, when I uh, started working with him as the developer, uh, he had a backlog of a couple of games that he needed development work on, mm-hmm. um, and uh, most of them were were good, solid games, uh, tier to no included. Uh, there was one that I was like, "Okay, what do you see in this game?" <laughs> and <laughs> and he, he explained, and I was like, "Okay, I'll try to keep that in the game. What you like." Right. But what do you like about this game? Because I can't then, find a dang thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I played it with yeah, and I played it with my wife. Like I played all these different development games mm-hmm. under development with her, and some she's like, uh, she's like, oh, can we play that again? Um, and this one, she was like, this is a horrible game. I, this is I don't want to. She's like, right. I don't know what you're going to do with this. So um, at this point, uh, Mark has started, you know. Uh, playtesting and like looking at um, different games that he's considering with me. Uh, and so the next one uh, has my approval. Nice, <laughs> the next nice, one he's nice. going to sign. Um, but I mean, you know, you, you're not going to be able to play everything. And so, yeah, so you, you kind of have to, you know, do what you can with it. And there's always going to be things where you're like, okay, this is the core of the game. This has to be, the focus and maybe this game isn't my cup of tea like you know i really don't like social deduction but if i had mm-hmm. to develop a social deduction game i i could do it because i know like what people do like about it and you listen right. to playtester feedback and because mm-hmm. you know 
that's 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 huge so um ultimately like you know it's got to be a game that has a solid core and my job is to get the numbers to work and make you know, mm-hmm. make sure that there's nothing broken so i i do think that one of the super smart things you said about that though was you know, a lot of the time we talk on this podcast about where's the fun, right? When you have a game, you ask yourself as a designer, what's fun about this game? How do I enhance that and remove the things that are not the fun? And that's basically what you mm-hmm. said to Mark. You said, Mark, what do you see in this game? What do you like about this game? Let me focus on that and try and keep that. Um, but I think you're right. There's got to be some trust in your play testers there. Uh, I think like if somebody was like, Jason, you have to develop this real time game. I would be like, mm, like I am so not the target audience for that. I'm bad at real time games. They stress me out. They give me too much anxiety. Um, you know, I, uh, I, and it's funny because like there are some that I enjoy. I actually really enjoy Stroop, uh, that Jonathan Schaffer did for sure. Grand Gamers Guild, but that game gives sure. me so much anxiety. And the only thing that helps me with it is that everyone else is also awful at it, unless you're playing against <laughs> Jonathan. Um, so yeah. it makes you feel a little better, right? Because you're like, you know, and, and there was the game Tessin that Cardboard Edison did a long time ago with Van Ryder games. And that game was, there was a, a small enough amount of things to pay attention to that I'm like, I can do this. But when you start to get into things more complex, I'm like, my brain just shuts it off. Right. And so the idea of having to develop that, I guess I would just be watching playtesters, like literally taking myself out of the playtest and say, I'll just watch this so I don't ruin the playtest <laughs> being awful. So that's a question when you're developing, um, you know, like if I'm designing, a lot of times I'm sitting in a play test. I do like to prefer watching play tests whenever possible. Um, but where do you kind of stand on that? Like, are you trying to be involved in the play test? Are you trying to watch more? You're probably also doing um, some uh, unguided play tests, I have to assume. Uh, yeah, a little bit of both, a little bit of everything. Um, so, uh, obviously, when I first get a hold of a game, I want to uh, test it. I, I want to be in the first play test. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but then, you know, of course, you're going to want uh, some cases where you're, uh, you know, sitting back just watching or, or not even giving any feedback. So, um, and really it comes down to like what am i what am i trying to nail down right now because Mm -hmm. if um if i'm if if i've made an adjustment or a change i need to see how that works and so i will usually put myself into the game and make sure that i'm playing and i will like try that strategy or or whatever it is like for example if i'm you know i i created this new card I will purposely deal myself that card so to start with and force myself to use it. And then if it turns out like it's overpowered or underpowered or whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to feel that and not rely, have to rely on the play testers to point that out. But if That's I'm testing, really like, yeah, if I'm testing, like, is the rules, are the rules clear? Okay. That's a blind test. And I need to, you know, be quiet and just let the players right. read the rules right. and go. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, um, I, I wasn't, I, it's funny, like, I'm sure I've done this in playtests before, but like, I feel dumb saying, like, I never really thought about, like, I've, in, I've invented this thing that's going to be a new strategy for this. So I'm specifically going to see 
what happens when this is played. And I'm going to play that in a play test without telling someone, you know, I mean, essentially like I'm just going to play it this way and sure. see how it does for me. I know I've done that in play testing, but I guess I've not thought about it that way of like, um, I'm going to go for blue because that's the new strategy. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and we'll see what everybody else does. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense to, uh, attempt to do it that way. And, um, yeah. And with how much with the, like the, Hey, read the rules and do the testing yourself. Have you done with games like such as, such as Tiernanog? Um, did you have to do a lot of the unguided testing of saying like, here's the rules, play the game. I don't know how much you Mark farmed out on that. Yeah. So that's a good question. And that's a, that's a question. I, I don't have a good answer for because, um, you know, so the, you know, we don't come with the box, right? So we have to make sure that the rules are clear, super clear so that nobody's going to look through this and be like, okay, this guard, this rule book is garbage. Like you don't want that to happen, but, (laughs) um, man, I've looked back at so many games, like, especially from like 10 years ago. And you're like, how did we read rules like this? Like, how is this acceptable? I know. I got out power grid the other day and I was like, I remember this is a good game. And I also remember the rules are crap. I couldn't. (laughs) I'm like looking uh, at board game geek for people to say like, no, it says this, but it means that like, just come on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the rules, like I, I don't have a solid answer for that. Um, now one good thing is like when I'm, uh, developing a game, uh, you get a free blind play test um, because when, you know, you hand the game over to me, um, I haven't played it yes. yet. And so yep. I, I read through the rules myself and uh, right there, I'm, I'm learning the game and yep. reading the rules and able to point out like, okay, yeah, this is confusing this, 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 and this. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's of course, super helpful. But um, just just the fact that I'm the one doing the the blind test, um, right, right? But yeah, um, blind tests. Um, like I always want to make sure I have at least one, but uh, I always feel like I'm asking like a huge favor from my testers right. to do a blind test. Right. I so I, I I prefer to use other game designers when I do them because yep. then I can also blind test their game. Right. So. It's it's a risky thing too. Like it's one of the things that I struggle with is when I give my game and say, Hey, play this, right? Here are the rules, play this. Not only are you asking a lot from that person, right? And there are plenty of people that are more than happy to do it. But when you hand that game off to them, two things are happening. One, they're spending their time deciphering and playing your game. Uh I say deciphering, that sounds bad. Like learning and playing your game in theory, right? But mm-hmm. but the the tough part is if they screw it up, right? Like if, if the rules were not clear or they just read it wrong or they misinterpreted something, I mean, that always comes back generally to the rules not being clear. But if that happens, you've wasted their time and you've wasted a play test, right? I mean, I, I know that, yes, okay, now we figured out what was wrong with the rules, like, you know, and the verbiage and stuff and why it was confusing. And I guess that's the point. But like play, play tests to me are so precious that I love as a designer generally those types of tests are not my problem, right? Like I don't have to worry about that um, because, you know, the first person that, you know, 
the I always consider that the person who's actually publishing the game, they're the one who has to deal with that, right? <laughs> Not me. And I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because you're right. Like when you are, when you're at the point where you're ready for a blind test, um, I feel that at that point you're testing the rules and making sure it's clear. Um, but you're not at you're you're not looking for feedback at that point. Like sure, if you get some good feedback, awesome. But I feel like when a game is ready for a blind test, it's you're so far down the line uh, to the point where it's like, okay, this game's ready to go. That's fair. Is it? Is it? Is it? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it, no game is ever done. That's that's the other right. thing I've learned with development is you know there's always changes and adjustments that you can mm-hmm. make. Um, and uh, at some point you just have to say, okay, I have other stuff to work on, other stuff to develop. Right. This game's done. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I learned that with endangered. Like I kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking things. And at some point Mark had to say like, okay, we're printing next month. <laughs> it's, it's, you got to be done. Stop it. And there's, and there's still things I find like in the published version where I'm like, oh no, but it was, uh, yep. yeah. And in that's the, in, in the published version, things I wish I would have changed. So. I, um, you know, I, I think that that is a danger around development and this sort of thing, right? Is the idea of like, when is the game done? And it's something that I am glad as a designer, frankly, isn't something I have to be the end all be all on, right? Because again, a lot of times, I say, when do I think it's done enough to pitch it? And then the publisher, even if I'm helping develop it, will continue to ask for things until the publisher is happy with where it's at. And they'll say, okay, we're, we're good with where it's at. Now we're going to move forward and finish it. Um, but I think that like it's that is always a hard decision to make. If you want to continue to work on a game forever, you can work on the game forever. But I think there are some, obviously the inherent, there are some inherent dangers in that. I mean, one being that like you know you do eventually need the game to get published if you're a publisher right that is like literally in your title um and you've signed the mm-hmm. game to publish but two I, you know there was a game that i saw gosh it was many years ago i can't remember the name i think the name of the game ended up being like aether magic or something it was a game by a grand rapids company that was gonna publish it and they had this game they showed it to me and Rob back in the day and we play tested it and the game was fun. It was super fun. It was a rough version. They had just signed it or they were about to sign it and they signed it. And, and I was like, Oh wow, this game needs a few tweaks and it is ready to go. And that may have been wrong. I, I don't know, but I know that three or four months later, I played another version of the game and it was less fun. And then Three or four months after that, I played another version of the game and it was not fun. And I was like, you, you like, I I mean, I didn't have any feedback to give at that point because all the feedback I'd given was not the feedback that they used, which is fine. I mean, it's not my game. Right. Um, But it went from a game that I was very excited about to a game that I was not excited about at all because they play tested and developed the fun right out of the game. Um, and they put it on Kickstarter and it did not fund. I don't think, no, I didn't fund. And then the company just decided to stop making games. Um, but like, I do think that 
their development of the game was was they just overdeveloped it right they put it to a point where it wasn't good anymore um or at least by my standards right i mean for what i saw the magic i saw in the game and when i said where's the fun i was like oh this is the fun and then they said maybe not and they just took the fun out of it (laughs) now other people may have felt differently about it i remember that did you get to play just that one i did get to play that game um i don't i didn't know the story of like what happened with it but i yeah i i remember talking with that grand rapids publisher and and um saying like you know when you guys are done with this one i'd love to pitch you uh one of my games and so um and they were interested but uh they they were very focused on on the mm-hmm. that one uh, at the time so right. uh no i do remember that and um i have a you know a similar story with a, a game that i developed was uh that i designed um uh and I worked on it for six years and people wow. liked it and liked yeah. it and liked it. And um, I showed it to lots of different publishers and each publisher, like they were like, Oh, it's okay. But I want you to try to, to tweak this. And so I made, kept making tweaks to it. And um, at some point I realized, you know, uh, I don't like this game. <laughs> like yep, I yep. had overbalanced the game and cause I had gotten it to the point where, you know, I, I want the balance was, was perfect where, you know, if you do this action, it's equally weighted with this action. And so it doesn't matter what you do. And that's, right, and right, that's right. not fun. So, the, um, there's, uh, I, I've learned that uh, balance is boring. So, yep. I know I was something John Gilmore said on the podcast a long time ago was that he said, the first thing I do is make a spreadsheet and mathematically make the game perfectly balanced. And then I I make it fun again, basically by slowly removing the balance so that it's more fun. Right. Because I mean, balanced, yes, but perfectly balanced. You're right. I I think you, you kind of encapsulated it very well when you said that um, you, you literally, my choices don't matter because it's so well balanced that everything I do is, it just doesn't matter. It's the same effect. Right. Um, That's, that is an interesting way to think about that. And um I do yeah, think and, that... and there's things in go ahead. Yeah, go I ahead. have things in like endangered. Yeah, I have things in endangered where there's cards where I'm like, oh, this card is so much more powerful than some of these other cards, but I I had to leave that in there because you know if I had made every action equally weighted, it, it just wouldn't have been fun. So Yep, yep. I think what's important is that it's a conscious choice to do that, right? You make the game balanced mm-hmm. to start out because you want you want to know that in its balanced form, it's playable and it works, it functions. But then you want to tweak it to make it more exciting and more fun and more engaging. And that, I mean, that's because if you're making a game that's balanced but not fun, then what's nobody's going to play it anyways, right? So what's the point? You know? Yeah. Balance isn't bad either. I mean, I would say that. There are probably some <laughs> games that are that are near perfectly balanced that are fun. Um, it's just, yeah, no, for sure. you know, those, uh, you know, it takes a certain kind of game probably to make that be the case. I think actually, like I was going to say, mm-hmm. like there are games where like the perfect information game where it's completely balanced. Right. But it's the player input that makes it unbalanced <laughs> then because in a perfect mm-hmm. information game, the player input is the factor of, you know, more or less skill. <laughs> It's going to make it unbalanced. 
picture. Yeah, absolutely. So there's no but, catch up uh, mechanics in chess. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean two player games. You don't you don't see catch up mechanics quite as often. Right, 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 but, right. Uh, um, but anyway, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've, I, I've said before, like I'm, I'm definitely a better developer than designer where, you know, I can, I can look at a game, see what's wrong with it and, and make adjustments. Um, but coming up with a new idea, I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> what kind of game should I do? I don't know. But literally, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, any, even published games, I, I, I struggle with pub, playing published games because when I play a published game, I'm like, oh, but this is annoying. It should be this. Like, Settlers of Catan, I can't play vanilla Settlers of Catan. There's, there's, there's two rules that I'm like, no, it's wrong. It's No, it should ooh, not be ooh, this. What are they? So what are they? I, I want to hear what the rules are because I have a lot of feelings about Settlers of Catan as well. Um, it's a game I love, but a game that we heavily house ruled by the time we were done playing it. What, what things about that really bother you? Um, so, um, there, there's two main issues and I fix it with one house rule. So, uh, the first issue is that, um, at the start of the game, like they, it's too tight. Like there's, there's not as many places to build as there should be, Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's just you know the factor of the map, but like you can you can end up through no fault of your own getting blocked uh, because all the good places are right around you, and so mm-hmm. you have like no way to nowhere to go. Yep. Um, the other issue that I have with it is that the ports are not strong enough. Um, like there are mm-hmm. some times where you're like, oh, I got this port and it's amazing because I'm getting so much sheep. Right. And right. then the rest of the ports are all garbage. Yeah. Um, and so my house rule, my house rule is um, an adjustment to the ports that makes them much more enticing, which actually me- makes people spread out a little bit more to get to them. Okay. Um, so if there's a port that gives you that you can, you know, you can turn in two sheep for one of anything, you can also use that port and turn in two of anything for a sheep. So oh. that way... There's always like one, like every map that, that you build, there's one or two resources that are uh, not like hard to find. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly those, the ports that require that, which would have been garbage, are actually pretty nice because, oh, I can get sheep over there at the port. Right. Um, That's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, now for the three for one trade. Uh, the adjustment I make there is that instead of it being three of the same card for one thing, it's any three cards. Oh yeah, that, that makes so, a lot of sense. And so there's you, you usually have a couple garbage cards where you're like, right. nobody wants this because there's so much at the table. So anyway, it it's that's 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 I, my wanna point, so, house rule so that I have. When we we had some friends and we literally played, and I talked about this in the show a long time ago, many many times. Every single Friday night, we get the same two friends. We play other games. We would almost always start out with a game of Settlers. And Mm. there were things about it that bothered us, one of which was the tightness and the competitiveness. Um, And the other was that we felt like the game could go a little quicker. So we made two house rules Mm. that fixed what we thought fixed those problems. The first was 
instead of making the ports better, we added the five to six player expansion. So the board got bigger, mm. but we played with four players. Sure. So there was more space. Sure. Um, and then the second rule that we made um, that we felt like made a huge difference was normally the first place you place, you don't get cards for because it's theoretically the best place, right? You get cards for the second yeah. place location you place. We called it the quick yeah. start rules. Uh, and you got you could get cards from both places when you put first set up. So you started with a mint yeah. of cards. Then the only other tweak we made was sevens were re-rolled on the first turn because otherwise inevitably the yeah, player always got screwed. Right. So yeah, um, the seven sevens re-rolled on the first turn, I think is a house rule that is uh almost to the point where it's just a standard rule. So because it's just no fun, right? I mean, like it's yeah. in so with the with the quick start version, like you literally start with six cards. So if you get one more card, right, you're 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 boned. Like you're going to so yeah. Um so yeah, so we Yeah, we it's did pretty that. much like uh going alone in it's pretty much like going alone in Euchre where at this right. point it's not really a right. house rule anymore. It's it's a thing you can do at all times. Right. Yep. And we found it it shaved about ten to fifteen minutes off the game and we loved it. So for us it worked great and and there's nothing wrong with house ruling your own games. But I, I do understand, like, as a developer, why when you play games, I mean, I think as a designer, there's you play a game and you think, oh, this this rule's weird. But as a developer, it's worse because literally that's what your eye is made for, right? Is to <laughs> look for problems yeah. in games and think about how to make them better. <laughs> yeah, and I'm part of part of it is a struggle because I want to play these games and like these games. And part of me is like, no, I need to stop working on games that are already out and start working on my games. <laughs> like, uh, like I don't, ha I, I shouldn't be like, I, I came up with a house rule for Arkham horror, um, the, the card game. Um, uh -huh. and it's like, okay, now I got, now I got to test it, make sure the rule works. I'm like, no, I should be playing my game and testing my game. But, uh, I did, I test, test, I tested oh, and it and tweaks I made to Arkham horror, you know, whatever. <laughs> No, but it was a good, it was a good tweak and it, it made right. the game more fun. So, but that's uh, when you just anyway. teach it to new people, but you just don't tell them you made that tweak, you know, and then I uh, did, I, I did do that. <laughs> I did do that after I tested it. I was like, all right, this is how we're playing from now on. I always look at it this like I've had friends who love games, but are never the type to go buy games on their own. They're only going to play the games I, I put in front of them. So if I house rule those games, they're never going to know. And if that house rule yeah. I know will make the game more fun for them, I'm never going to tell them I'm just going to play it that way. Because if they decide to buy a copy of the game, they're not going to read the rules. They're just going to play it my way and never know. Yeah. Till they go to a tournament. <laughs> right. These were not tournament people. For sure. I would get destroyed in the Settlers of Catan tournament, for the record, though. For, for the reasons of like, wait, what? No, you can't do that. Like, oh, you can. Oh, okay. Crap. Yeah, the Settlers has one card that I I haven't house ruled, but it's really annoying. It's the Monopoly card, which I don't know. Monopoly just shouldn't be a thing anymore. But uh, there's you can uh, you know play the Monopoly card, and you get to take all of the wood, right? And so there is a legal move where you can trade someone your wood for their stuff and then play the Monopoly card and take the wood back. It is a legal move. 
I'm not and proud, but I've, I've done it before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, we were pretty cutthroat sometimes. So, you know. Um, oh, yeah. No, I mean, if you. But you That's better you play. plan on them not trading with you for the rest of the game and possibly the next time you play either because you've burned that bridge. Like, you better be winning that turn because otherwise, mm. and it better not be your spouse you did that to because you will not be having a good night on the way home. Uh, they will be upset. So Yeah, uh, when I play games with my wife, she gets one ring privilege. <laughs> where, I, where she's like, nope ring privilege i'm like all right that's your one for the game <laughs> um so so we've talked about some pitfalls here what what to you is what is your favorite thing about being a developer like what's the best part to you about being able to develop games that are not published for the record sure i mean i mean um i i like solving problems i like my degrees in mathematics and so I'm, I'm definitely a problem solver. Like, uh, you know, here's this, here's this issue. Here's this thing. Here's this system. How do we fix it, improve it, make it better? Um, and that's just, that's just the kind of thing that I, that I'm built for. Like same thing in my, in my, in my actual job, my, my real mm-hmm. job, I'm a data analyst. So look at this, you know, these, the report shows how the company's doing what can we do to improve what can we do to to make it better so um that that's that's kind of what i like where you know i i I see an issue how can i cleverly make some kind of adjustment where the the core is still the same the fun is still there but you know the game plays much more smoothly now so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um i mean uh, development is is a huge part of the um, the publishing process, and you know it's it's not something that even a lot of designers necessarily even know about. Um, but like you know, I can point to one example where game development uh, was huge. Um, mm-hmm. So what's the number one what's the number one game on Board Game Geek right now? Do you know? I do not know. Uh, it is Brass Birmingham. And B- Brass Birmingham is a... Uh, it, it's based on the game Brass, uh, which I think was... It's still highly rated. I think it got up to like number 20 on BGG. But, uh, you know, I've, I've I read some reviews on Brass Birmingham where people are like, you know, it's pretty much the same game, just with a few minor tweaks. Uh, and now it's amazing. It's n- number one on BGG, and it, everyone loves it. Wow. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it plays uh, game development can take a game that is good or okay, and it can make it great. So, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with you, and that's. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. And in listening to you talk about, and I knew you, you were big into mathematics and stuff and it explains to me why I do not have a development brain and you do. <laughs> that is uh that is certainly a part of it. Um, well, Hey, I would, uh, I would love for you to, to tell everybody a bit more about um, Tiernanog 
specifically like if you could just kind of i like i said i normally would do a pitch on my own game but i would love to hear you do it because you have been so (laughs) involved with this process and uh so yeah okay um all right sure so uh um is a game based on celtic mythology uh i mean there's tons of games out there around greek mythology and even norse and egyptian but there's not very many around Celtic mythology. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's it's definitely an interesting space. Uh, so Tiernan Oak is a tableau builder. Um, uh, so you're, you're um, each round going to be collecting cards and putting them out into your uh, tableau on, on the table in front of you. Uh, and then you're going to score them based on uh, different scoring conditions. Each game you're going to use three scoring conditions. Uh, there's um, 12 different versions, 12 different scoring conditions. Um, so like kingdom builder, it's super replayable. Um, there's 64 different combinations of, of, you know, conditions that you can have. So, uh, some games are going to be trying to do this. Other games are going to be trying to do that. Um, uh, the, uh, first expansion, um, is included in the box and that's the subplots. Um, Mm -hmm. There's uh, eight different um, subplots that you can play uh, that um, give you additional ways that you can score. Um, So uh, the game also, it it plays one to five players, um, takes about uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, I would say it's it's between light and medium weight. Um, I mentioned that it plays one to five players, um, so it does play solo, uh, and the solo mode is interesting because it really feels like you are playing against a uh, a human player. Um, sure does. They're not they're not making the exact same you know decisions that a human player would, but uh, a lot of solo um, games that are you know built around multiplayer, and then hey, you can also play solo that extra solo mode is just like, it can be a little wonky. This one really feels like it's, it's just like playing with a second player. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually um, got to do a little yeah. bit of testing on that and it was, and I was, cause I don't like care for solo stuff. A lot of times I'm not, it's just not my thing. And I was like, this is fun. Like I'm enjoying this. And uh, so the game is uh, going to be on GameFound uh, uh, right now, actually. Yeah, um, as you're so... hearing this, it's it's out there. It's funded. <laughs> it's made yeah. a ton of money. Unlocked a bunch of stuff. You're definitely going to want to jump right on board that for sure. <laughs> so it actually, as we're recording this, launches in 10 hours and 35 minutes. Uh, we're recording this the night before, so we have no information, but we, we are believing <laughs> that it is doing great. Yes, yes, that's that's our hope. So, um, yeah, so that's that's my pitch. So. Yeah, and it's um, it's I uh, my you know, my kids or uh, other people sometimes will call oh, what's what's your favorite game you've worked on? And I was like, you know, I really I really think it's this like I I. I'm so excited to uh, to get to like actually play the the final version and stuff. Like I said, I loved getting to play it at Gen Con, uh, and then at PAX Unplugged, I got to see the one of the pre you know one of the um, 
the last uh, pre-production pre-production stuff and uh and isaac and i got to look through that and it was it was really cool and um also the artist who did the work for it uh marley's is amazing um uh, and then bridget and delicato um you know, it's funny because mark had said hey we should get a um we should you know we, we need to get a graphic designer isaac jason do you have any recommendations and literally our first choice from both of us was bridget um she is just absolutely amazing and uh and she knocked it out of the park on this so i i was so excited for us to even have her on this and then just to get to see the work she did was fantastic and that paired with the artwork was really good matching you know it worked really really well yeah, I think you've mentioned everyone who's worked on it except for our uh, cultural consultant. Who was the next person uh, I was Nick about Ferris. to mention, but yes, yes. Oh, okay, yeah. So <laughs> Nick Ferris, um, uh, he um, uh, did, the, did the, the cultural consultant make sure that we were uh, handling the theme appropriately. And mm-hmm. um, he, he gave us a ton of background on, you know, Celtic mythology and the different myths and stuff and uh, even so, um, I don't think, I think most of us who worked on this, um, uh, didn't really have a, a solid handle in that, that theme. No, no. Uh, and so he definitely elevated it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, pointed out a few places that, um, we, we might've been, you know, uh, making assumptions or, or, you know, right, right. Do, doing things that, that could have been um, uh, seen as inappropriate and we didn't even know. So, yep. and, and that's why um, you, that's why you hire a cultural consultant, right? I, I appreciate it. Like I would see the email chains where Mark or, or somebody would say, Hey, we've got this card, but we're hearing this. We're not sure if this, you know, is going to work or not. And he would come back and just like, like, here's all the info and just give us a ton of info about what it meant and, and was not afraid to say, Yep. Nope. This doesn't work this way. Uh, but then would say, but if you like this artwork, you've already got this artwork. I think you could reuse it in this way instead and consider doing mm-hmm. this, um, which was awesome. Right. I know Mark appreciated that <laughs> to say you didn't wait yeah. this waste this art. Um, you know, we can also do this and uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was, I learned a ton um, listening to, you know, reading the stuff that Nick was writing back. Um, and just really appreciated all of his ideas and, and was super glad that we could have someone because the last thing you want to do is do something within a culture and then do it wrong um, in a way that yeah. is, you know, not treating the culture appropriately. Um, and obviously, if we're going to, you know, be, like you said, there are a lot of Greek mythology, a lot of you know Roman stuff. There's Viking stuff. There's all these things. Um, the Norse mythology is right. But like this is just something that's not, there's not a lot of it out there. And so we don't want to be the first runs and get it wrong. Right. We want to honor it and do a good job with it. Yeah. So um, Nick had uh, kind of explained uh, Celtic mythology as not having, like, instead of having like, you know, 10 to 15, like central figures, like, like the, the Olympian gods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's more like you've got like hundreds of different stories. Right. right. And they're all, they're all dependent on, you know, your location and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so, 
Um, it's like, uh, so how to say who's right, who's not, like it's a little more sticky, but right, right. Yeah, I know there were certainly times when I would he would say like you can interpret this this way or this way. Either one would really be correct. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh the funniest part about uh working with Nick is that um I knew Nick beforehand and didn't know that he uh did this kind of uh cultural consultant, but um Neither did I. He uh yeah, he was part of uh a playtest group that I was in um uh, in Maryland called table treasure. And, um, that's how, and, and so like I'd been to his house a few times and play tested his games. Uh, and then, uh, when Mark announced that Nick Ferris was going to be, right. uh, doing the culture consultant, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yep. okay. Yeah. I, it was funny because, because small world. He, he said Nick F and I was like, um, like, so I didn't, you know, at first I didn't, cause I think his email just said, uh, Nick F. Right. And so I was like, I don't, I don't know who that is, but then I saw a picture of him, like on his little like email avatar. And I was like, I think that's Nick Ferris, like the game designer. Like, I didn't know he did this. Um, yeah. you know, so like, uh, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, well that's cool. And I, I don't know him personally, but I mean, I, I, I know him as another fellow game designer. So I was, I was with you. I was like, Oh, like small world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I figured it was just some, like some person just like, you know, across the pond, just yeah. uh, hanging out. Like not that we'd never met that Mark found online somewhere. Right. Right. Nope. Yeah. Absolutely. Game designer. <laughs> um. I appreciate you coming on and chatting about all this. This has been fun and exciting and uh, I'm, I'm so looking forward to the project and appreciate all of the work you put into it. Um, and I uh, can't wait to see uh, it in production and out there. And uh, it's just yeah. excited to be able to share it with everybody, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So it's on game found right now and yep. um, it's going to be in. So uh, I'm, used game found before so no i, I went and registered so that i could you know follow it and yeah it was uh it was easy to register on so yeah i was pretty excited about it um that it wasn't cool. like some complex thing that i was like oh no <laughs> but yeah we uh we encourage yeah. everybody to uh to take a look at it and uh if you're interested feel free to back it uh, and if you want to come talk about it, you can always hang out in our Discord and chat with us about it, too. Um, but once again, Joe, thank you for coming on the show. appreciate it. Yeah, and, thanks for uh, having me. Listeners, I really hope you enjoyed uh, our conversation about development. We'd love to hear if you have any feedback. To give that, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. Find a link there to our Discord channel. Come join our Discord. Hang out with us. You can come to our weekly accountability meetings. Or you can just type and hang out with us, uh, and it'll be fun, too. You can, of course, email us to buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter at PodcastBTG, at J.A. Slingerland. And Joe is at Average Joe Games, and Average is A-V-G, uh, J-O-E-G-A-M-E-S. Um, and uh, also, you can find Joe's game. I meant to say this to you earlier. Congratulations. In Barnes & Noble, Endangered is there as a Barnes & Noble exclusive. <laughs> I was at the local Barnes & Noble, and I was like, what? excellent well, so it's barnes and noble exclusive but we've had a few people upset about the exclusive part because um <laughs> uh well so the game the game's 50 dollars, and when we 
talked to the Barnes and Noble. They said they couldn't sell it for that much. They, it, we had to cut it down to 40. So we had to take a character out of the game uh, okay. and take out a few of the bits. And so uh, I guess uh, Barnes and Noble exclusive means it, it excludes some stuff. Barnes <laughs> uh, so, and Noble excluding. Um, yeah. So um, you can still play the expansions with it and we will have that character uh available um for sale um but uh yeah so um it wouldn't have we wouldn't have been able to get it in barnes and noble otherwise so i'm not upset about it but you know some people were like oh but i didn't know that this wasn't the good version of the game (laughs) i mean it's a different version it's not not a good different version and you you save ten dollars so right 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 yeah, but it's still, I mean, the reach that you get from a store like that of, you know, people yeah. who aren't going to give you feedback about, I didn't know it wasn't the good version, right? <laughs> like, I mean, there's just a lot of people who would never have seen that game uh, that are now Correct. seeing it because Correct. of that. And that is what's great. That's how you know you're a medium publisher when you have a game in Barnes and Noble. See, Mark? <laughs> there you go. Yep. yep. Uh, well, thanks again. And listeners, uh, thank you again. And uh, we hope to see you back next time. But until then, good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.